0: Thank you, choir. As we begin our sermon this morning, you know, you look at the sermon title, just stick with me, uh, you know, Keeping Snakes as Pets. If you're visiting today, you may be thinking, what kind of Baptist church am I in? Uh, just hang with me. Uh, when I gave the title to Joanne, our office administrator, she, uh, she looked at me funny too. So just stick with me, and uh, you'll see where we're going with that. But uh, I recently read an article in the Harvard School of Public Health about alcohol, And there was one line in the introduction that really stood out to me. It said, it's safe to say that alcohol is both a a tonic and a poison. It's both a tonic and a poison. And I think if you surveyed people in our community, you walked around Augusta today even, and said, you know, tell me your view of alcohol. Is Is it good? Is it bad? Is it a tonic or is it a poison? I think you'd probably find people all over the map on that. Some people would say, it's a good thing. Some people would say, no, it's a bad thing. Uh, some people, you know, even Christians would say, no, it's a, it's a sin to drink alcohol. You should never drink alcohol. Uh, other Christians would say, no, alcohol is something to be enjoyed by Christians and non-Christians alike. And so we probably even have people in this room on both sides of that position and maybe somewhere in between. And maybe some of you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I really have never formulated a stance on alcohol. I don't really know where I would stand on that as a a Christian or a follower of Jesus. So uh, hopefully this morning we we may be able to navigate some of that. And so the question we're going to ask this morning is, how how are we as Christians? And if you're not a Christian, just stick with me, and hopefully you'll understand a little bit about how Christians think and and work out their lives. But um, the question is, how, how do we as Christians approach the issue of alcohol? And there's two ways I want to handle that. The first step I want to take is, whether it's alcohol or whatever it is, I think there's um, something that we should consider as far as how we approach different topics, whether it's alcohol or whatever it may be. There's something that that governs all that we do that we need to pay attention to. And then I want to dive in specifically as it relates to alcohol. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, your outlook of life and how you navigate life is going to be distinct. I mean, it's going to differ from those of the rest of the world that hold to different other belief systems, uh, whether they believe in God or not. You know, it's going to be different uh, how someone who's not a Christian uh, they're going to have a view on things, specifically maybe alcohol, and it may differ as to how you view it. And it all relates to this one truth that I'm about to share with you from First First Corinthians chapter ten. Verses 31. You know, the Apostle Paul in this chapter is dealing with the freedom we have in Christ. And specifically, he's talking about, you know, whether we should eat this or eat that. Should we eat, you know, food sacrificed to idols, different things like that, even though idols really don't exist. And so he's talking about how in Christ we're free to eat these things and and drink these things. Uh, But, um,. He goes into a little more detail as to, well, how do we exercise that freedom? And so that's what the chapter is all about. And then when he gets down to verse 31, this is what he says. And I actually shared this verse last week as it uh, informed how we work. We talked about uh, what Proverbs says about work last week. But in verse 31 it says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so, when considering how we should live out our lives as followers of Jesus, ultimately, we're concerned with what God's concerned with. We're really, we're really concerned with, okay, what does God want me to do in this given situation? And this is what sets Christians apart from the world. Because if you're not a Christian, there's some other governing you know, philosophy or idea that's uh, governing your behavior and how you deal with certain things in the world. But as the Christian... You know, what governs how we approach the world is to glorify God. We want to seek what God says about it, how God wants us to move into whatever it may be that we're facing. And so, yes, Christians, we will eat and we will drink, but ultimately our aim is not just to eat and drink. Our aim is to glorify God, to know Him, to love Him, to follow Him. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.33. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. And the point there is, uh, the context there you know, is, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will fall into place. You'll have a proper understanding and you'll properly know how to pursue these other things in life if you keep first things first. And so seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. In other words, as Christians, as people even, whether you're a Christian or not, you were made for more than just eating and drinking. There's more to life than that. And I think we all hopefully agree to that. That's, those can be wonderful things to enjoy in life, but life is about more than that. And that is, it's about who God is and how we relate to Him. It's about His kingdom, His righteousness. And so we were made for a relationship with God who created all things. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 14, 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, the kingdom of God is not primarily concerned with eating and drinking. I mean, those things are present in there, and they will actually always be present in the kingdom of God, uh, even when Christ returns. That will be, they will, those things will be present. But it's not just about that, it's more than that it 's about righteousness it's about peace it's about joy, in other words it's about God and the things that god uh, that are true of God and what God wants to be true of us and so the context that you and I as followers of Jesus uh, must consider whether it's we're dealing with alcohol or whatever it may be, uh, is to first you know seek first the kingdom of God seek seek to know God to love God, and seek to know what God would have for us in this given situation dealing with this specific issue so with that context established okay whether you eat drink do all to the glory of god that's our umbrella context for the christian life now let's dive into this specific issue of alcohol how do we glorify god in what we drink well there's two things we need to consider the first one this and this should always be your go to uh, first, and that is we need to go to God's Word. And we need to say, okay, what has God said about this, that, or the other? Specifically, alcohol. What has God's Word said about al- alcohol? So, what we notice, as, and this is interesting, as you read through the Scripture, the Scripture actually speaks about alcohol in two ways. It speaks about wine being a blessing And it speaks about wine being a curse. Sometimes it talks about wine being a good thing. Sometimes it talks about wine or alcohol, alcoholic beverages uh, being a bad thing. And so let me share a few of these scriptures with you. Psalm 104, 14 and 15. You can just jot these down as I buzz through them. Psalm 104, 14 and 15 says... You cause the grass to grow. He's talking to God. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. That's a pretty positive view of wine there. You know, you have allowed things to to be such that mankind can grow a vineyard and create wine that gladdens his heart. So on the, on the one hand, you see some positive aspects being attributed to wine. Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2. What did he do? Turn the water into wine. And obviously, uh, implicit in that whole miracle is that they would actually drink the wine. right? He wouldn't just turn the water into wine at the wedding and just look at it. I mean, people would actually drink it. And then even Paul, and this is another passage of Scripture as well, but Paul specifically tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23, he tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And so 2,000 years later, we know there, there have been studies done on wine that show that in moderation, you know, if you drink a little bit of wine, it can help, your body it can help your circulatory system and it may have other benefits as well and so there's other passages in the scripture that uh, speak about wine in a positive light but at the same time there are other passages that talk about wine as uh, a curse or something to be uh, warned about in other words the scripture doesn't treat wine like it treats milk or water okay it draws a distinction between these other beverages. I mean, there's a difference, I think we all know that, between wine and milk, or wine and sweet tea. There's a distinction. And the Scripture draws that distinction. And so, many verses speak not only to the benefits, but also to some of the dangers. And so, looking at Proverbs, I want to start there and look at a few passages, since that's the book we've been studying. Uh, We know Proverbs is all about helping us navigate life. How do we apply God, godly wisdom, godly truths to our everyday lives? So Proverbs 20, verse 1, says this. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs twenty-one, seventeen: Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. And whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs twenty-three nineteen through 21 Hear my son and be wise and direct not your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. And so in this proverb we're warned about You know, just be careful of who you hang around with because what they do can influence you, whether they're gluttons or whether they're drunkards. So, obviously, drunkard, they're being painted in a negative light. Then, Proverbs 23 29, and 35. He writes, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. And what I want to point out in this passage is that there's a simile that is used in this passage that will help tie into the sermon title. Okay, So we're going to try to bring it together here in this passage. There's a simile that is uh, comparing wine with a snake. You see it in verse 32. It says, In the end, wine... Bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. And this is where we see the distinction drawn in the Scripture between wine and like, milk or water. There's something unique about wine that is not true of these other things. Now, surely, I'm sure you could abuse milk and you could abuse sweet tea, and some of you have been guilty of that. Uh, But I'll just tell you, um, the effects of abusing sweet tea And abusing wine are different. And this is why the writer of Proverbs, when he's writing to a young person, he's telling them not, you know, beware of the effects of overdosing on milk or abusing milk. He's saying, actually, when you abuse wine, there's something you need to be aware of. There's some negative effects here that you need to be aware of. And in verse 32, wine is said to bite, to have a bite like a poisonous snake. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you love snakes? Yeah. I knew there were some of you. And the others of you are like, no. I don't think so. I don't care what kind of snake, how big of a snake, if it's dead, if it's alive, if it's a a stuffed animal snake. You know, I don't want anything to do with a snake. The others of you were like, I've been begging my parents since I've been born for a pet snake. You know, and yes... Most of the people in here think, okay, those people are crazy. But actually, there are people that, you know, they like having pet snakes. And so I did some research, and I searched on the internet, you know, pet snakes. And several articles, several websites came up that that told me if I were to try to find a pet snake, here are five of the top ones I should look for. And they gave me some selections. So these, these snakes make great pet snakes. Okay. Out of all the snakes, these are the ones you want to look for. And then I, but I, you know, I noticed that you know, they gave me the top five snakes. But I noticed they all had something in common. None of them were poisonous. And I said, well, what if I want a poisonous pet snake? What will I need to do? And I had to Google that and search that and did some research. And I found out that people have pet snakes that are venomous, poisonous. But there are fewer of those people for different reasons. <laughs> You know, you can figure that out on your own. But there are differences between, you know, the the venomous snake and the non-venomous snake. And this isn't rocket science. I'm not a snake expert. But common sense and my internet research has discovered that when you have a venomous pet snake, it requires you to be more careful with the snake. And we all know why, right? Because if another snake bites you, it may hurt, but it's not going to kill you or paralyze you. But if a venomous snake bites you, it could disfigure you, it could paralyze you, it could kill you. And so you have to be very careful with it. Okay? You just have to know how to handle it. And what's interesting is uh, the proverb here says that wine is like a snake, but there is a difference too. It's, it's, It's like one. It's not just like one, but it's like one. It does have a bite like a snake, but it's different. I don't know if you've ever been bit by a snake. I haven't. Thank the Lord, not yet. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> here's how snakes bite. If you've watched, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the Crocodile Hunter or something like that <clears throat> in the past, you see people being bit by a snake. When you when you were bitten by a snake, <clears throat> it's quick. Right? They don't just like just make their way over to you and just kind of start gnawing on your arm. I mean, they... Wham! It just happens real quick, and they can sling out those fangs, s- stab them into your body, and release the venom in seconds. Okay, that's how a snake bites. But it says wine has a bite like that. But it's not just like that, right? Because it says here, I think it was in um, verse 31 says that wine, it goes down smooth in the beginning. In other words, it doesn't strike you like a snake does in the beginning, but in the end, it strikes you like a snake. In other words, a snake strikes quick and fast, injects the venom. Wine doesn't do it that way. Wine or alcoholic beverages, the way they work is that the beginning is smooth, the beginning's fine, but the more you drink them, they start to sink their fangs in to your body slowly and then begin to release the venom. And so, yes, it's a deadly bite that causes issues, but it's not just like a snake. A snake strikes fast, whereas alcohol strikes slowly, but nonetheless uh, affects how you do life, right? Look what what the Proverbs say in uh, verses 33 and 35. It says your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Now if you've been around people that have been intoxicated or if you've been intoxicated, you know this, is, this happens. They call, sometimes they call alcohol you know, liquid courage. You know Things start coming out of your mouth and you start doing things that you normally wouldn't do. <clears throat> strange things sometimes. And it says your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. Does anybody know what a mast is? When you have a big sailboat like a pirate ship, it's the very top of the sail. So he's kind of describing like a fraternity party gone wrong. You know, it's, People are like sleeping on the roof, things like that. <clears throat> That's what happens. And just a little context here. <clears throat> this, this was written 3,000 years ago, by the way. I mean, this was a long time ago. It didn't take mankind long to learn how to ferment grape juice. You might be familiar with Genesis chapter 9. God destroys the world. He raises up Noah's family and preserves them through the ark. And this is kind of the part that sometimes we leave out of the, the ark story. You know, they get off the ark. What, what does Noah do? He plants a vineyard and gets drunk and goes and lays in his tent without any clothes on and this is what happens to the righteous Noah. Because this happens to people. Because wine does have a bite to it, so you have to be careful. And you've got to handle it carefully. So what is this passage telling us? Well, God, God is, is telling us that we should not abuse wine because too much wine possesses a venomous bite. And this is why the Apostle writes in Ephesians 5.18, he says to the church there and to Christians... Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, we want to be controlled by godly desires. We don't want to be controlled by other substances like alcohol. And that's what he's saying. We want to be controlled by God's Spirit. Now, the Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't drink alcohol. I don't think you're going to find that. That you should never, ever drink alcohol. I don't think you're going to be able to make a biblical case for that. But it does say alcohol consumption can become a sin if you are drunk, if you get drunk with alcohol or uh, underage drinking, for example, would be a sin because you're breaking the law. Uh, and there could be other situations as well, and this leads me to my second point that I just want to talk about briefly, and that is okay this is what god 's word says wine is a can be a good thing, but it also it 's like a snake you' got to be careful with it. it can bite you and harm you and there are two things you need to consider uh, as you seek to live out your Christian freedom as it relates to alcohol. The first thing is you need to know yourself see and I don't drink alcohol. you know If you go to our house, you're not going to find alcohol there. And there's a number of reasons for that. One is, uh, my father struggled with alcoholism all his adult life. And so, growing up, even though I wasn't a Christian, growing up, I just never saw anything good come out of alcohol. You know, I just never experienced any positive result from it. I had a very negative experience with alcohol in my family. And it broke my family. And so uh, that obviously influences how I I view the subject for myself. Also, uh, you know, I'm not a geneticist. I'm not a a medical doctor. But I do know this, that perhaps because my father was addicted to alcohol, that I could also become addicted to alcohol. And so I need to know myself. And that is going to inform how I apply God's truth and my Christian freedom to my life. And obviously, uh, it's going to impact how I raise my children. Now, the other thing that you need to consider is not only to know yourself, but you need to know your context. You need to be able to read your context. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, this is what Paul says. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so the idea is that as Christians, and we know this, that we should not only look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so uh, our decisions, we realize, not only impact ourselves, but also those around us. And so we want to just take that into consideration Uh, when we exercise our Christian freedom, in whatever area it may be, and specifically today we're talking about alcohol. Now, I was reading this article about a couple that shared their view on drinking alcohol and how it changed over time uh, because they decided to move their family into an impoverished community. And I'm not saying this is true of every impoverished community, but for them, where they moved, for their context, what they realized is their community had been ransacked by alcohol abuse. Uh, and they would just tell stories how even just walking out of their apartment, people would be drunk on the stairway at like 9 o'clock in the morning. I mean, so person after person, neighbor after neighbor, they realized this is a epidemic in this neighborhood. And so that began to uh, get them thinking about how they should uh, handle alcohol in their own family in their context. And so what they decided to do is to actually give up drinking alcohol. Even though they didn't say it was a sin, they just said, okay, we're trying to minister in this neighborhood. This neighborhood has been ransacked by alcohol abuse. So what we're going to do is we're going to refrain from alcohol use uh, for the sake of our neighbors, and it may give us a better position to, to minister to them. And this is, this is the way they, they explained their decision. She writes, she said, I didn't give up alcohol because I wanted to flee the evils of the world. She said, I gave up alcohol as a way of engaging the evils of the world. And I think this is a great uh, example of discernment for their context. Now, there may be other contexts around the world and even in our country uh, where drinking alcohol uh, may even you know, be a, uh, a thing to do that maybe helps you to be more fruitful in ministry. I mean, I think we can imagine perhaps a situation like that. Uh, but my point is... Not only do we need to know what God's Word says, but we need to know ourselves and we need to consider our context. So with that said, what should your position on alcohol be? Well, you need to know what God's Word says. You need to know yourself, your personal history, your family history, and you need to consider your context. And I think as you take those three things into account, uh, you 'll be able to make an informed and godly decision as it relates to alcohol or whatever it may be and now let me let me close with this we 're all in need of god 's grace okay Some of you may struggle with alcoholism, but we all struggle with sin. For one, it may be addiction to alcohol. Another, it may be addiction to pride or addiction to gossip or addiction to pornography. So the question is not so much, are you addicted? It's more so a question of what are you addicted to? In other words, what is it in your life that you turn to other than Jesus for your peace, for your comfort, for your satisfaction, for your identity. What is it for you? It could be alcohol. And I've seen that. But it could be something else. Because we're all addicted to sin. And the only freedom from that comes through Jesus Christ. And so like I said earlier, in Christ not only are we forgiven of our sin, but in 1 John, He tells us that Jesus can actually cleanse us from our sin. In other words, He can bring about change in our lives. And so what that tells me is that no matter what sin you're dealing with, in Christ there's always hope for change. Now it may be incremental change, but there's always hope for change whatever sin you may be dealing with. Now for those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there's hope for change for you as well. And it begins... With you coming to Christ, you confessing those areas, those areas of your lives that you know I I turn to this. I live out my life this way. I don't live it out to the glory of God. Uh, I'm not uh, clinging to Jesus for forgiveness of my sin. I'm not seeking to live for the glory of God. And I was thinking, if I were to, if I were sitting in your place, yeah, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ uh, when I was uh, toward the end of my high school days. And I was thinking, if I were in your shoes today, if I were sitting where you are, uh, what would I say to God if I wanted to place my faith in Christ? And I wanted Christ to come into my life and change me and make me who He wants me to be. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that's your desire, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you want to follow Jesus, you want Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sin and bring about change in your life, That I encourage you to pray this prayer silently with me. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I admit I've been living my life apart from You. I now recognize that I'm a sinner and that forgiveness can be only found in You. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sins. And Jesus, I desire that You become my Lord and Savior. Lord, in that I want to follow You. And Savior, in that You are the only One who can give eternal life. I now turn to You and ask that You come into my life and make me the kind of person You want me to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.